back to another episode of the Adam Schefter Podcast presented by DraftKings, America's top-rated sportsbook app. And we're going to make the majority of this podcast today about the upcoming fantasy football season and some of the players who represent the best values and some of the players who are overvalued. But first, we're going to start with the Denver Broncos franchise player, a team leader, a voice of reason, the great Broncos safety, Justin Simmons. After Justin, we'll sit down with the co-founders of the Establish the Run website, Adam Levitin and Evan Silva, as they break down exactly who you should and shouldn't be drafting in your upcoming fantasy football draft. And then we'll take a different look at who you should be drafting in your upcoming fantasy football draft from Pete Bomarito. He owns Bomarito Performance Systems, which trains football players during the offseason in Miami and Davie, Florida. And he is up close and personal with about 100 NFL players. And Pete will tell you who is poised for a big NFL season ahead. And there was big NFL news this past week, much of it centering around Jacksonville, Florida. The Jaguars capped a busy 24-hour period of moves on Monday morning when they announced that they would be releasing the former fourth overall pick in the draft, Leonard Fournette. The news came as a surprise to many, though it shouldn't have been, because Jacksonville has been actively shopping Fournette since before the recent NFL draft in April, and then again during the summer. And as Doug Marone said at his press conference on Monday, they could not get anything, his words, not mine, anything back for Leonard Fournette. Not a fifth, not a sixth, not a seventh round pick from any team. And when they couldn't get anything back, they decided to move on from him. Now, the surprise was not that they moved on from him, in my mind. The surprise was that they moved on from him basically six days before the final cutdown day on Saturday. And what was interesting about that was why they did it on Monday. And it was a few different reasons. I think we start with the fact that the Jaguars, they were beginning preparations for their upcoming game against the Indianapolis Colts at home, their regular season opener. And they didn't want Fournette to be a part of that. Didn't want him to see anything that they were doing. And so that entered into the decision to release him on Monday, as did the fact that the Jaguars feel like they've got four other running backs right now that they believe are capable of running their system. I think the first guy you look at is a guy by the name of Raquel Armstead, who they liked last year, who got hurt in the preseason, who never was able to step in and do what they thought he could. They also have Chris Thompson, the former Washington football team running back, who worked with Jay Gruden. He now is a part of that offense as well, as is the former Saints running back, Devine Azigbo. And I think I'm pronouncing that right. And there also is an undrafted free agent running back by the name of James Robinson, who the team likes. Now, again, it's an undrafted free agent running back. Who knows what James Robinson can or can't do in a game. But they have four other running backs they believe in. And they felt like if Fournette were sticking around, he wouldn't be happy with the amount of work he was or actually wasn't going to be getting with those other running backs. And rather than him being upset, rather than him seeing what they're doing against the Colts, rather than these other running backs being on the sideline, rather than trading them, which they couldn't do, they decided to make the move with him now and release him. And this came, of course, 
24 hours after they agreed to trade Yannick Ngagwe, their franchise player, to the Minnesota Vikings for second and fifth round draft picks. Now that fifth could go to a fourth. If Ngagwe goes to the Pro Bowl this year, it could go to a third. If the Vikings win the Super Bowl and Ngagwe goes to the Pro Bowl, but the fact of the matter is Jaguars can count on getting back second and fifth round draft picks in return for Yannick Ngagwe. And the thing is, is that other teams have been sniffing around Ngagwe, but nobody was able to get it done. And again, Ngagwe was willing to cut his contract and he cut it down to $12 million from over 17. So that's incredible in and of itself. I don't remember the last time a player was willing to take a five plus million dollar pay cut to go play for another team. And not only is that $5 million in salary, but in Florida, there's no state tax. And in Minnesota, there is. So that money is worth even more in Jacksonville than it would have been in Minnesota. But Ngagwe was unwilling under any circumstance to go play in Jacksonville this season and was willing to take less, five plus million dollars less, six million plus less to go play for the Minnesota Vikings and so Jacksonville, rather than keep a headache on its hands that it knew wasn't going to get resolved, moved on from Ngagwe, and the Vikings get a great pass rusher, though he's in the last year of his deal, to match up with Daniil Hunter, giving Minnesota's defense an even more aggressive feel. Now, as we tape this on Monday morning, the Vikings still have to create more salary cap space, and that is expected to come from, in one way or another, Riley Reef, their starting left tackle. The only question is, will he be on the roster? Again, the team is hoping that he is willing to redo his contract, but if he's not, they'll wind up releasing him. And by the time you hear this, the actual situation may be resolved, but maybe not, but it'll be soon. And Reef, I have a feeling, may not be in Minnesota, but we'll see if they can figure out a rework contract for him, which comes as a byproduct of the trade for Yannick in God. We also had big news in the NFL this week that related to the NBA. When the Milwaukee Bucks players boycotted that playoff game last week, something I had never seen before, something nobody's ever seen before, my first reaction was how it would impact other sports. And the NBA players met to decide what they felt was going to be the best course of action for them to pursue to bring attention to social injustice and racial injustice and many of the wrongs that have been going on in this world for far too long. And ultimately, if they had decided to boycott the remainder of the NFL playoffs, we'll never know, but I believe it would have had a direct trickle-down effect to the NFL, and I believe that would have posed a threat to, at the very least, the start of the 2020 season that already we thought would be threatened by the pandemic. And so it was almost what happened in a bubble in Orlando relating to the racial injustice that's prevalent in this country that could have directly impacted the NFL season. And when the NBA players voted to resume the playoffs and the games, to me that was a sign that in the NFL, the games would go on, though obviously many of the issues that our country and these players face remain. And hopefully they can figure them out and give them the proper attention and time that they need. 
All right, before we get into today's episode, I want to remind everyone with the much anticipated start of the 2020 football season just around the corner, make sure you're staying up to date on all your fancy football news with ESPN fancy experts Matthew Berryfield, Yates, Stefania Bell, Mike Clay, and Daniel Dopp on the Fantasy Focus Football Podcast. You'll get daily strategy previews and injury reports to ensure you have all the information you'll need for your fantasy football team. Be sure to download and subscribe to Fantasy Focus Football and the Adam Schefter Podcast on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And we're going to have a load of fantasy football knowledge and information on this very podcast today with the co-founders of Establish the Run, Evan Silva and Adam Levitin. But first, a word from the Denver Broncos franchise player, Justin Simmons. Justin, we're coming off a tumultuous week where there was a lot of attention given to some well-deserved areas. I'm just curious, from your standpoint, what it was like to be a player in this position, to watch the NBA boycott, to have the discussions that your team did. I know you spoke in that group of players. What was it like from your vantage point? When I saw what the NBA did um, in terms of boycotting, I mean, I think that I know it, it seems like every time something uh, like this happens and it's, and it's national news and we're talking about police brutality um, with community, um, you know, I feel like the, the grasp of how close it hits home for so many people um, doesn't actually hit as a reality for, for a lot of people in America. And so I think what the NBA did in terms of boycotting the playoffs, I mean, this is something that, you, you know, you work all year towards right and each year you know you, you is different you know you try and get there healthy and this that and the other so I think that put it into perspective for a lot of people like hey if these guys you know they get paid to do this and they're willing to sit out and potentially you know mess up their chances of winning a championship all to bring uh all to bring um you know light to the situation of hey this is a real problem um in America and this affects us and we're going to show you how much it affects us uh, I thought it was uh, I thought it was tremendous what they did to bring attention to it, and obviously they went back to to resuming play. But I still think, nonetheless, like the message was powerful in that. Let me ask you this question: If they had gone through Justin and boycotted the remainder of the playoff games, what do you think the impact on the NFL would have been, and what do you think it still might be going forward? Yeah, I still think whether you know, even just with the one game, um, I think for a lot of guys it was like, man, you know, these guys are willing to are willing to step up into you know, like like I said, cancel not only games but important games. We're talking about championship games and able to get to be able to play for that. Um, I think you know, put it in perspective for a lot of guys in the in the NFL. I think uh, obviously it's a it's a bigger dynamic, a lot more guys on the team, um, things of that nature. But I still think it's a reality, like. You know, if we continue to see things not get better, uh, we can see, continue to see things get worse. Um, you know, it's a reality that guys are willing to, and we know, and we know what that means. You know, you're you're obviously always replaceable in the NFL. Nothing's concrete or anything like that. But guys are willing to stand up for something they believe in and want to make a difference because, um, you know, if not now, um, you know, when. So that's the type of mentality I felt like the the NBA guys were doing and not only them, but the WNBA. I mean, they, both of those two organizations do such a, an amazing job of consistently speaking out on these things and, and, and standing for change. So now that they are playing the games, could you see any NFL players, any of your teammates, anybody on any team 
boycotting a regular season game here in the NFL? Could that happen, Justin? Oh, I think I think it could for sure happen. Um, like I said, I don't think it's not something guys are obviously looking to go out of their way to do. Um, everyone here, this is what we get paid to do, right? We love this game. Um, we love everything about it. But when when the the point of the message is like when we leave here, we take off our jerseys. Um, you know, when we're when we're going home or whatever the case may be, like we still feel unsafe. Um, a lot of guys do in today's America, and so. Eventually, we, we, we will be done playing. Um, you know, we will be going back into uh, where, you know, we're no longer protected by the NFL or the individual teams that you're under in the NFL. And so um, guys are willing to, to make that stand and say, like, hey, you know, if we're as important to you as you say we are, then you'll help us make this change or at least take steps to make these changes. Um, so I wouldn't, I wouldn't be surprised if things don't get better and, you know, we, we feel like there's not a lot of change. I wouldn't be surprised, you know, seeing guys around the league take a stand in, in, in that matter. Have you heard it from any of your teammates that it could happen for Denver's opener? Uh, nothing nothing uh, over here in terms of saying officially, like, uh, we're, you know, we're sitting this out, we're sitting that out. You know, like, you know, there's no, there's no denominating factor of, like, if this doesn't happen by this time, then we're going to sit out, you know, this game or anything like that. I just think um it's it's the feeling of it you know like we had a we had a team meeting a couple of days ago and uh, we had some great conversations we're, we're starting an agenda of things that we can get done we're meeting with the aurora police department and chief of police here in, in colorado um we're meeting with the we're meeting we have meetings set up with the governor the mayor um and so we have some things set in stone we're like we're going to meet with some people um that are sitting in those seats that are decision makers and we're going to you know kind of almost put them in the hot seat and say like, you know, obviously this is a, this is a national thing, but what can we do as our part in the state of Colorado? And um, as long as we're seeing steps like that being taken, I think that's ultimately what we want, you know? So. Why are you guys doing that all along? Cause I feel like, I mean, players and teams across the league have been doing that. They've been meeting with their police departments, local officials, trying to see ways they could effectuate change and be effective. Hasn't that been going on already? For, for a lot of teams. Yeah. And that's, that's part of what I was talking about earlier is you just don't, for me personally, we don't want to see steps backwards. You know, yeah. we don't want to have the, the same con, uh, you know, like monotonous conversations and saying we're going to do something and putting up, uh, you know, whatever it is, social media posts uh, about how we're making change. Like we, we want to actually go out here and make things happen. Uh, and a lot of the guys who are doing such an amazing job, you know, Terrell Casey has a, has an amazing foundation where, I mean, he's literally putting these things into practice and, and making legitimate change. Um, you know, a bunch of guys on the team, man, where it's, you can, you can almost feel it. And um, a lot of it has to do with what's going on around the sports world. Like I, like we were talking about the NBA, the WNBA, um, you know, seeing these, these organizations step up and, and actually fight to make change. So um, I'm not here to, to nitpick or, or this, that, and the other, as long as, as long as we're taking steps in the right direction and we're actually starting to get things done and we're having those tough conversations. And like I said, those lead to legitimate change, then that's, that's, that's a good thing. You know, it's interesting because I think a lot of people always thought that the biggest threat to this season and to football was the pandemic. And in a way, I just feel like what would happen and hopefully it doesn't happen. What would happen if we saw one more incident like George Floyd, like Jacob Blake, one more incident that occurred. It should never happen again. But what if there were? Can you imagine that during the season and what the reaction would be, Justin? Oh, it would be 
it would it would be chaotic. Um, I mean, this is this is how this is how close to home it hits, and this is why we were saying like, you know, we need we need to act on this. Like, we need to make changes happen. It's because you look at what happened in Kenosha, Wisconsin, with Jacob Blake, and you know, we have a teammate, Melvin Gordon, and he is directly affected by that. You know, that's his hometown. He had family. Um, he had family out there uh, that was that were part of the protest. And then you had the you and you had that young man, the 17 year old that went out there and, you know, took some people's lives and, and things in that nature. Like we had that team meeting. I mean, I, Melvin can speak for himself, but he got up there. and You could see how emotional and, and, and distraught he was. And, you know, we were talking about having practice the next day. Like this like he, we like you know what I mean? Like guys were out here protesting in the off season and that could have been him. That could have been his family members. That could have been one of us when, you know, we marched the streets here in Denver and, and protest of Black Lives Matter. So I think that's why it's, it's it could be chaotic is like people don't understand until it happens. Like it hits so close to home for so many guys and you know, we need to it's there's no more of this, you know, talking about it. We need to make sure things are getting done. How did growing up in a biracial household influence your views on this topic, Justin? It helped on both sides of the spectrum. My dad is black. My mom is white. And so, you know, I had, I remember specifically, you know, I had conversations with my dad and, you know, we have a pretty joking relationship, but I remember when we first started talking about, you know, uh, when I first was getting ready to start driving and even before that, you know, having conversations with my dad and they were very serious about how, I need to be interacting with police and how I'm viewed. And it was really weird dynamic for me because I just have, I never had thought about it like that before. Um, and I had seen interactions with my dad and, and, and police, but just thought like, oh, that's just probably that one guy or, or whatever the case may be. This doesn't really happen to a lot of people. And I can also remember, you know, like I said, from my mom's side and seeing how she sees things and the looks that she gets in public when she's walking around with, you know, three biracial children and how she's profiled and, and stereotyped in that manner. And it's just, you know, it's a lot. Is that I say that because, you know, you don't know what it's like to walk around as a black man in America, but there are people out there, um, white people out there that are trying to fight the good fight. And, you know, this is a lot, this is an awkward time for a lot of people. And I think I've always shared this with so many people like, yeah, we want to know you're standing with with change and we want to know that you're standing with us. But I think also like, you know, a lot of people don't know what to say. They don't know how to say it. Um, that's that's how it is. You know, when I was growing up in a in a, in a biracial household, I, I just never felt never felt like I fit in on either side of the spectrum, you know. And so mm -hmm. that's 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 where it was. That was where I learned a lot of growth um, for myself and my family. That's got to be very difficult and challenging for a child. It's hard enough to grow up in this world as it is, but when you introduce something like that where you didn't fit in, you didn't feel you fit in on either side, how did that impact you? Yeah, yeah, it, it impacted me a lot. Um, there was a lot of soul searching and, um, you know, anyone that knows me knows like, you know, the, the thing that I hold, you know, near and dear, closer than anything else is my relationship with the Lord. And that's really, I'm so thankful for the challenges that um, and everyone has challenges, but the challenges that I've faced in my life, because it helped me really grow in my relationship um, with God. Be and because I had to lean on him for a lot of that stuff. Like I said, you know, when I was, when I was younger and I talked to a lot of my friends about whatever, if I was talking to my black friends about how I felt like 
you know, I was being profiled and this setting, they'd be like, yeah, but you're not black. And then, you know, if I'm hanging out with my white friends and, uh, you know, we're talking and I'm saying, you know, this, that, and the other, it's like, yeah, but you're black. Like, so that's like, you know, it was just a weird, it was just weird for me growing up with that. And I'm thankful, like I said, for my relationship with God, because that's where a lot of my growth came from. Um, But also my mom and dad, uh, you know, just being able to pour into me and to give me life lessons and to tell me like, you know, how things were and what I need to be doing and how I need to stay focused and what I need to be focused on. So I'm just very thankful for that. So knowing all that and knowing what you've learned and overcome to become the Denver Broncos franchise player and the great young safety that you are, what is your message to people today, Justin? What would you say to them about the world we're living in and how to make it a better place? Yeah, I would say just listen. Just listen to what the players are saying. Uh, there, you know, there's, uh, there's always been that stereotype that athletes, you know, aren't smart. They need to just stick to sports. But a lot of these guys that are walking around and are playing these professional, uh, playing these professional sports, man, they are educated. They have degrees. They have, uh, they have amazing um, academic backgrounds. And so we need to listen um, as Americans in, in general, like we need to listen to what they're saying and what they're speaking out on. Um, it's important to do that because they experience a whole different side of life than a lot of people get to experience. So, man, like really just put yourself in these athletes' shoes and listen to what they're saying. Um, you know, think about the role reversal idea. And that would, that would be my main thing. Amazing. You open the season two weeks from tonight against the Tennessee Titans, and we don't even touch on that. And it's not important to touch on that in a day and age like this. Justin, I want to thank you very much for the time today. Lots of luck in that Monday night opener. Lots of luck in your battle to effectuate change and to make progress in this world of ours. And we appreciate the time today. Adam, I can't thank you enough for having me. I really appreciate it. There is the Denver Broncos outstanding franchise safety. Justin Simmons, an impressive young player and man. All right, before we get to the co-founders of the Establish the Run website, Adam Levitin and Evan Silva with more fantasy tips, this show is sponsored by BetterHelp. We all carry around different stressors. I do, you do, we all do, big, small. And when we keep them bottled up, as I sometimes have had happen in the past, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest, and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. It's helpful for learning positive coping skills and how to set boundaries. It empowers you to be the best version of yourself. It isn't just for those who've experienced major trauma. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Adam today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Adam. Some fantasy knowledge. All right, it is the prime time of fantasy football season. Everybody's doing drafts, getting ready for their drafts. Maybe you've just done your draft, but if you are getting ready for your draft, We have a special treat today. We have the co-founders of the Establish the Run website, Adam Levitin, Evan Silva, two of the smartest 
fantasy minds in the entire business. And if anybody can help you get ready for your fantasy draft, these would be the two guys to do it. Adam, Evan, thank you very much for taking the time today. Hey, thanks for having us. Tell me first, before we get into it, how it's worked out with Establish the Run website so far. You guys started it up, if I'm not mistaken, is it two or three years ago? No, it, it seems like two or three years, given what's happened in, in 2020, but it's only been uh, one year uh, since, since wow. we started. And yeah, and, and yeah, we've had a really good response. I think people have really liked the product and the information that we put out, and we think that we've helped them in season long. We've helped them in DFS. We've helped them. Uh, in Dynasty. And, and so, yeah, we really appreciate everybody that's been along for the ride so far. It's been a, a really fun uh, one year being out on our own. One year. I would have thought it was two or three. That's a, that is amazing. That, well, this whole year feels like it's about 10 years, so that could explain it as well. Um, we have the fancy drafts coming up. And I guess the best way to do this is probably at a macro level, right? And so at the outset, I'll say, I want to go each of the four position groups on the offensive side of the football, quarterback, running back, wide receiver, tight end, and have you identify a guy or two that you love and a guy or two that you'd avoid. And I guess we'll start with you, Evan. On the quarterback front, give me somebody yeah. that, that, you, that you're heavily invested in and a guy or two that you're avoiding. Yeah, I, I like Matthew Stafford a lot, especially at his late round ADP this year. If you look at the history, the recent history of Matthew Stafford, you know, he was his offensive coordinator for a few years. There was Jim Bob Cooter, and they they centered the offense around Golden Tate, a slot receiver, and Theo Riddick, a scat back for one of the strongest arm quarterbacks in the league. In comes Daryl Bevel last year, and through the first eight games, I mean they they changed the offense entirely. They went back to throwing the ball vertically. They have Kenny Galladay, they have Marvin Jones, they have T.J. Hawkinson, guys that can win downfield they're not centering their offense around a slot receiver and a scat back anymore and Matthew Stafford through eight games until he got injured was on pace for 38 touchdowns and 10 interceptions and the Lions offense as a whole was on pace for uh, to finish top eight in the NFL in scoring and top four in uh, yards from scrimmage so I like Matthew Stafford to uh, come back be healthy that entire uh, supporting cast is returning. Daryl Bevel is returning. They have a lot of continuity on offense, and I think that that's going to play well in a year where, you know, with of 12 padded practices and no preseason games and no OTAs, et cetera. I think a guy that is overdrafted at the quarterback position is Aaron Rodgers, largely on name value. You know, th this, the Packers have not really done anything to help Aaron Rodgers Statistically, his number two receiver is a third-year undrafted free agent in Alan Lazard. People probably can't even name uh, tight ends on the Packers uh, roster right now. Um, they use their first-round pick on Aaron Rodgers' replacement. They use their second-round pick on a running back who didn't catch passes uh, in college. And they use their third-round pick on a guy that they hope becomes the next Kyle Juszczyk. So they just have not gotten him help. And Aaron Rodgers, uh, although I, I do think he is still a quality starting NFL quarterback, uh, he is no longer a quality fantasy quarterback. Adam, what do you got at the quarterback position for me? Yeah, I know people don't like the way Josh Allen plays football at the real-life level. He's erratic. He's wild. He makes a lot of mistakes. He throws the ball into coverage, and he runs around like crazy. But that's exactly what we like 
in fantasy. We want guys who don't check down, who throw the ball deep down the field, who use their legs around the goal line, who aren't afraid to take hits. And Josh Allen checks all of those boxes. I think he has a chance to rush for seven or 800 yards this season and score, you know, six, seven, eight touchdowns rushing. And then on top of that, they add Steph Diggs for him. They add Zach Moss, who I think is a better pass catcher than Devin Singletary. So they've done a lot to kind of support Josh Allen and have him succeed. And I think he'll do just that this year. If you're looking a little bit later, I think Teddy Bridgewater set up really, really well with that really young and inexperienced defense. Teddy Bridgewater is going to have to sling it around one of the most underrated skill courts that they have. And you can get Teddy Bridgewater, man. You can get Teddy Bridgewater like 13th, 14th, 15th round, and he's going to have to put the ball up plenty to those weapons. Uh, guy that I'm not taking, and I think it's similar to what Evan said. For me, it's with Drew Brees. I mean, there's a lot of name value with Drew Brees. When you get quarterbacks who don't run at all, it's, your margin of error is so much smaller. And I think the Saints are just really good defensively. They're really good rushing the football. They use Taysom Hill a lot. I just gave Taysom Hill so much money, and so – Drew Brees, I think, on name value alone, similar to the Aaron Rodgers thing, is going overdrafted in fantasy. I like Drew Brees, and I like Aaron Rodgers as quarterbacks. But to both of your points to be where they're being drafted, no thank you. No thank you. Uh, I just think that we're pass on both in the spots that they're going. I'd rather wait for Daniel Jones. I'd rather wait for Sam Darnold. I'd rather wait for Teddy Bridgewater. I'd rather wait for Tyrod Taylor, who I think is going to be the starting quarterback for the majority, if not all, the season for the Chargers, a guy that can run and produce in a pretty good offensive system. And I think to go higher on Rodgers and Breeze, to your points, I'm right there with you on both them. And some of those names that I trotted out there, like Darnold, like Jones, like Tyrod Taylor, like all those guys late. You could get a guy late, like your Stafford pick, Evan, like Teddy Bridgewater, Adam. I mean, I like all those guys. There's enough quarterbacks to go around, in my mind, right. in a fantasy draft that you could just sit back and wait, to me. Yeah, and, and that's the thing. In a lot of leagues, I'm sure a lot of listeners are, are playing one quarterback leagues with 12 teams, and you can wait so long, you know, and you can get uh, Josh Allen and Matthew Stafford and Matt Ryan and Carson Wentz kind of 10 or 11, and I think that makes a lot of sense rather than reaching. All right, running backs, Evan, we'll go to you first. Give me a running back or two that you're heavily invested in and somebody else that you think is being overdrafted. So James Conner this year – is a guy that is often sort of like people are skeptical about because because he got injured yeah. last season. I understand that concern, but before he went down in an offense that lost week two, really week one is, is when he got injured and they, they lost him for the season in week two was on pace through seven games for almost 1500 total yards, 14 touchdowns and 66 receptions. I mean, that is truly elite production through seven games and then after game seven he played 56 snaps the rest of the way and he got injured and so that that recency bias affects his ADP but he's coming back healthy he has very limited competition Anthony McFarlane who they drafted in the fourth round has really not made a move in training camp and Benny Snell has wrapped up the number two running back job but if you look at how their defense and the Steelers had a, a very talented defense for many years, but it, it never played to its potential. It finally started to play to its, its potential last year. They added Terrell Austin as, a, um, uh, as, an, as an assistant, and they finally played to their potential. They're returning as the best defense in the league, and that is going to translate to a lot of positive game scripts for the Steelers playing from behind, uh, playing with a lead and protecting leads 
and that's going to help James Conner. He's got big, big upside at his third-round ADP. I think that he can score like a top-five running back, um, and he, you don't have to pay the cost of a top-five running back to get him. A guy that I'm worried about, and I love Josh Jacobs as a, a pure ball carrier. I think he might already be a top-five pure ball carrier in the NFL. Um, but the, the Raiders have gone out of their way to stack pass catching backs. And this is a guy who only averaged 2.1 targets per game as a rookie, caught tw- only 20 passes. Everyone plays in PPR leagues now. So you, really, you have to be very cognizant of the receiving pro- projection for your running back, especially if your running back doesn't play on a very good team. And the Raiders have one of the five toughest schedules, according to Warren Sharp's strength of schedule projections. This year, if you look at their schedule after week one, they play the Panthers in week one. And look, I'm playing Josh Jacobs in DFS in week one against the Panthers. But after that, they have an absolutely brutal schedule. And they're going to be in a lot of negative game scripts, playing from behind. And in those scenarios, it's going to be Jalen Rashard. It might be Devontae Booker. It might be Theo Riddick. It might be the rookie Lynn Bowden. Um, But Josh Jacobs is not going to be catching passes this year. And that's really going to hurt his fantasy bottom line. I saw you tweeted about that last week, Evan. You noted all yeah. the running backs that the Raiders have on their roster or recently acquired that do catch the ball out of the backfield. And right when I saw that, I said, boy, if you're in a PPR league, it does make right. it a little bit more challenging to draft a guy like Josh Jacobs as good of a running back as he actually is, right? We're talking and, about and, PPR. And, and if you look at his splits from last year, Josh Jacobs scored zero touchdowns in the in games that the Raiders lost, and he scored all seven of his touchdowns in games that the Raiders won. And uh, he averaged about 120 yards from scrimmage in games that the Raiders won, and about 80 yards from scrimmage in games that the Raiders lost. So, if you're looking at just you know wins versus losses, last year he was scoring about eight fantasy points per game in games that the Raiders lost and you don't want eight fantasy points per game from your second round fantasy pick. I, you know, I agree with what you're saying on James Conner. I love James Conner. You love the character. You love the talent. The one thing that always gives me pause, always gives me pause is a running back in the last year of his contract when the team doesn't appear to be willing to re-sign him that year. So what happens if a couple of things, we get to week eight, nine, and the Steelers aren't in the playoff race, which I think they will be. I think they'll yep. be a good team. But if they're not, he's not incentivized to go out there. And then also, what if just later in the season, he's had a good year, he wants to preserve his body, and he's got a hamstring tweak. He's not fighting through that injury when he's about to become a free agent. There are some scenarios that enter in that always make me nervous about a guy in the last year's contract, like Dalvin Cook right now. Dalvin Cook was on my team yep. last year. My fancy – I love the guy. I drafted him everywhere. As I said before, I would, I would pause before I drafted him this year. Not, not to say that he won't be great, but if he doesn't have that extension, there are all these other factors that get introduced in addition to the factors of just being a running back in the NFL that make me nervous. Does that make sense on James Conner and Dalvin Cook? It just makes me want to pick your brain about what is going on with Joe Mixon right now. Well, he's, he does have migraines right now, okay? okay. And Joe Mixon, I, I, think he's got a, I think he's got a ball out. Like, I don't think he 
can leave much room for error. I think that they have not to date, uh, I don't think, gotten real close on a contract extension. And so he's in that category too. And so the way, so by the way, is Alvin Kamara. So we've got yep. Alvin Cook, Alvin Kamara, Joe Mixon, James Conner. Leonard Paul, Fournette is also in a contract year. Yeah, but I don't even view him as a top running. He just makes me nervous, you know, fantasy-wise. Fantasy-wise. And so you got these guys. Th- those factors, I, 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 like I said, it just gives me pause before I take any one of them. And I love Dalvin Cook, and I love Alvin Kamara, and I love James Conner. Um, Joe Mixon, a really good fellow. It just makes me pause. And so, you. in that in that case, you just wonder: are, are we better off? Are we making sure that we take Alexander Madison and Latavius Murray and Benny Snell and Anthony McFarlane and and Chris Thompson and Divine Ogazebo, however you pronounce the guy's name, right? So you you sound like a zero RB truther, Adam. Are you familiar with the zero RB movement where you don't <laughs> you just you don't want to you don't want to take you don't want to take any running backs, it sounds like. Well, I, I say this to you, Adam, and I had this conversation with one of my bosses in my sixteen team ESPN War Room League team that I mentioned to you briefly before Evan joined the call. The one year I had a fifteen and one record, it was about two years ago. I set a record for points in the league. I also lost in the second round of the playoffs. Just got blown out of the water in a bad matchup week against uh, Stefania Bell. Had like great matchups, and I looked at the lineup in advance. And I said, "I'm screwed," but I went 15 and one, set a record for points. I had the 15th pick that year in the draft, and I took with my first two picks at 15 and 18, Michael Thomas and Devonte Adams. So it makes me wonder. In a 16-team league, am I better off just – I don't want to say ignoring running, but you can't ignore it. But just stockpiling points where you know you can get points. I, I don't believe in no running backs, but I believe, I believe in the best players, period. Whoever they are at that spot, the best values, the best values. And so where is the value with where you're picking in your draft? That's what everybody's got to ask themselves. And – Early on, you want to take as much risk as you can out of it. And I just think there's an element of a risk with all those running backs in the last year of their contracts. Now, if Alvin Kamara signs a new deal right before the season, which sometimes happens, we get this flurry of deals the Saturday before the season opens on Sunday, I'll feel a lot better about him. Same with Dalvin Cook, same with Joe Mixon, same with James Conner. But I don't think James Conner signing a deal. I don't know about Joe Mixon. Dalvin Cook talks are an impasse right now. So, it again, I want to see how those things are going before I'm committing to one of those guys with a first-round pick. That's me. I might be wrong. Yeah. Well, the, the good thing about James Conner is you can get him in the third round. Those other guys go in the first round, but James Conner certainly has a pass with 300 touches in the third round, and you, you're not going to find that really with anybody else. I agree with that, and I got no problem there. So there, and you got to fill that position somewhere with somebody. And so if you did go wide receiver, wide receiver, and came back and got James Conner, okay, that's fine. I got no problem with that. All right, yeah, Adam, give, nice give, give, me, give me a running back value and a running back overvalue. 
Yeah, so in like that third round range after Connor, if you still need a running back, I think the rookie Jonathan Taylor set up really well. And, and what's going on with Indy right now is they're building around the offensive line. They're building through Phillip Rivers, who they won't have to protect quite as much as they were trying to protect Scooby Brissett. But just from a prospect perspective, I mean, Jonathan Taylor's really unique athlete and production at the college level. Indy obviously wanted him really badly. They're already using him a ton in first-team reps in practice per reports from beat reporters. So I think that Jonathan Taylor is going to step in and at least right away get 10, 12, 15 carries alongside Marlon Mack. And before too long, the talent gap between Jonathan Taylor and Marlon Mack is going to be so wide. They're going to have to use Jonathan Taylor. Again, one of the league's best offensive lines. And so Jonathan Taylor is almost certainly going to be a first-round fantasy pick in 2021. I want to get out ahead of him and come in the middle of the third round with Jonathan Taylor there. Guy you can get way later is Chase Edmonds. And, um, you know, Kenyon Drake has this foot issue right now. It doesn't sound like it's serious, but still, Kenyon Drake has not proven to be a workhorse at any point in his entire career. And I think this coaching staff really does like Chase Edmonds a lot. Evan has been moving him up a ton in his rankings over the last couple of weeks, even before the Kenyon Drake injury. And we're not that sold that Kenyon Drake is going to be 20 to 25 touch kind of player. Chase Edmonds can definitely play. He has multiple paths to being really good guy that I'm not taking that we're definitely not taking are two guys that I think everybody should be off of Larry Fournette and Le'Veon Bell, two guys who their teams barely even want. I mean, Adam, you reported around the draft that the Jaguars tried to change trade Larry Fournette for anything. I mean, it sounds like they would have taken a seventh round pick and then you go into a team that's arguably tanking for Trevor Lawrence. Well, now we have a problem with a guy whose motivation has been questioned in the past team tried to trade him. And now they're going to be really bad. I think that's a big trouble sign for Leonard Fournette. Also added Chris Thompson, Lavisca Chanel, guys who can take away some of those short area passes that Leonard Fournette got last year. And this thing between Adam Gase and, Le- and Le'Veon Bell is so wild. I mean, it really sounds like Adam Gase like, never wanted Le'Veon Bell, doesn't want to change his offensive suit. Le'Veon Bell don't like each other. Team is schedule is brutal. We overhauled the offensive line, all new guys. It's just a mess for Le'Veon Bell also. So those are a couple of mid-round running backs that I probably would never take, no matter how far they drop. Even fifth, sixth round, I'd probably just be like, I don't want this headache. You bring up Chase Edmonds. I remember his rookie year. They loved him then. And David Johnson was there. I drafted Chase Edmonds everywhere his rookie year. I'm usually about a year or two ahead of where guys actually make an impact. I'll draft them, and they sit on my bench, and I'm waiting for Chase Edmonds to make that mark. And so this is about the time that he would be due. He was on my roster a year or two ago, and then now would be the time that he would make his mark. That would be no surprise. Let's go on to the wide receivers, which I think are easily the deepest position. And we'll start with you, Adam, this time. Change it up. Give me a wide receiver value or two and a wide receiver overvalue or two. Yeah, and so uh, the best part of the draft to hammer wide receiver is very clearly to us, rounds three through seven, rounds three through eight. I mean, there are some outrageous, outrageous values in there. I can name 10 of them. I think that my favorite now, now is Will Fuller, and I know what everybody's saying is that Will Fuller's always hurt, and that's true. Uh, also, when Will Fuller is hurt and misses games, you don't have to take a zero in your lineup. We are good enough to have a deep bench, and we can replace him. But when Will Fuller is on the field, when you remove DeAndre Hopkins and his 150, 160 targets, Will Fuller is just projects in an amazing way from both the floor and ceiling perspective, not a one-trick, just-go-deep-pony. I think Will Fuller can really play, and he's going to blossom here. And if he sustains health, I mean, gosh, if, you, if there were no injury concerns around Will yeah. Fuller, Evan and I think that Will Fuller will be going in the third round, not in the sixth round or the seventh round when you can get him now. 
Um, wide receiver I'm not taking is, is Keenan Allen. And, uh, really? This wow. San Diego. Yeah, this, this Los Angeles uh, uh, Chargers offense shifting from Phillip Rivers to Tyrod Taylor I think is going to look way different. And Keenan Allen never ran deep routes, never had great yak, didn't make a ton of big plays with his legs. What Keenan Allen does is get volume and have a really high catch rate and to get really competitive, contested catches and win that way. When you have Tyrod Taylor instead of Phillip Rivers, you just don't get as much volume. So instead of 10, 11, 12 targets for Keenan Allen, I think it's more likely to see six, seven, or eight. Then you're asking for a lot of seven for 50 type games and six for 60. And that's not going to be good enough for us to really spike our weeks or taking Keenan Allen. In the fifth or sixth round, I think we can go for some more upside there. Evan, what do you got a wide receiver for me? Wide receiver overvalued, DeAndre Hopkins hmm. in Arizona. And this is a guy who, over the past five years, made his living just dominating from a volume standpoint, averaging 166 targets per game over the last – per year, over the last five seasons, uh, with very, very little target competition. I mean, the, the, the biggest target competition really has been Will Fuller, who has been injured often and a complimentary role player playing alongside DeAndre Hopkins. Now he goes Arizona, and he's got to deal with Larry Fitzgerald. He's got to deal with Christian Kirk. He's got to deal with Kenyon Drake, who was on pace for 60 catches uh, in his eight games with the Cardinals last season. And, you know, I'm, I'm a big believer in quarterback, pass catcher, established rapports. And Kyler Murray and DeAndre Hopkins, aside from a week together in Texas, have had uh, during the, um, I think it was in uh, May or June, have had so little time to work together on that chemistry and build that rapport. And especially, you know, be, because, you know, there were no OTAs. There are no exhibition games. There are, what, you know, 10, 12 padded practices. And DeAndre Hopkins has been missing almost all of training camp with a hamstring injury. They have not been able to hammer down that chemistry. And I think it's, it's a lot. Most people are ranking DeAndre Hopkins as a top five wide receiver. I have him at wide receiver 15 and an obvious guy to avoid this year. Uh, a guy that I think is undervalued, and I was going to say Will Fuller, uh, but, I don't, uh, but Levit Levitan stole him from me. So I'm going to go with Michael Gallup, uh, who last year finished top six in the NFL in receiving yards per game. He's a, been a player that has improved every year. If you go look at his last 16 games, he did miss two games last year with a knee injury. But if you – Look at his – just isolate his last 16 games, which include the, the, the two playoff games the year before. He's got 75 catches, almost 1,300 yards, and seven touchdowns over his last 16 games. That would have made him the number seven overall fantasy receiver in 2019. This year he's being drafted as the number 31 overall fantasy receiver, and we have him in the top 25. So if you're using establish the run rankings – you are going to be get, getting Michael Gallup on your fantasy teams, and you're going to be printing money. A couple of thoughts on your guys there, Evan. Number one, DeAndre Hopkins. Total agreement. Love him as a player. Worried about going to a new system. And take the contract situation that we had with the running backs and apply it to DeAndre Hopkins, who's got more time left on his deal, but who has wanted a new contract all during the offseason. And – I don't think it's gotten a lot of attention. I know he went on social media and said, this isn't about a contract, but I can tell you that there is absolutely a desire for a new contract. 
And we don't know how that will impact his performance this season one way or another. You just don't know. And when you factor that into a new system, the lack of work he's had with Kyler, there is no argument that DeAndre Hopkins is one of the most talented wide receivers in the game, capable of huge numbers. But again, when we're talking fantasy, you're just talking about limiting risk and exposure in certain areas. And there are a couple of flags that pop up there through no fault of his own that give you pause on DeAndre Hopkins. Now, Michael Gallup, I love that guy too. But here's what gives me pause there. You have Amari Cooper and you have C.D. Lamb. And everyone I've spoken to says that C.D. Lamb is a total stud. So what if C.D. Lamb is that guy? And what if he steps in there and mix him in and Blake Jarwin asserts himself at tight end? So again, I'm not saying that Michael Gallup isn't all those things you said he is. But what if C.D. Lamb this year gets 70 targets? Does that diminish the value and the production of Michael Gallup? Well, that is, I believe, the reason that Michael Gallup is being drafted as low as he is because people are worried about C.D. Lamb. And you mentioned, hey, maybe C.D. Lamb jumps in and gets 70 targets. Well, he would be that would be fewer targets than was seen by Randall Cobb last year. He yeah. saw 83. And Jason Witten saw 83. And both of those guys are now gone. What I think that is going to happen here is not that C.D. Lamb is going to jump in and, and dominate targets in Dallas. He's going to jump in and make the offense more explosive. And Blake Jarwin is more explosive than is Jason Witten. And more explosiveness is going to just translate to a better offense, an offense that scores more touchdowns. And Michael Gallup is going to score more touchdowns. Again, he only had seven over his last 16 games. Um, I think he could score nine, 10, 11 this year. And even if, even if his his targets do go by the wayside a little bit, he can absolutely compensate for that target loss uh, by just scoring more touchdowns, which really at the end of the day dictate, fantasy wins and losses, touchdown. Nothing moves the needle more than touchdown scoring. Yeah. Now, listen, I I like Michael Gallup as a player. I just wonder how that ball is going to be distributed there in Dallas with so much talent on the offensive side of the football, not to mention uh, that they're going to want to run the football with Zeke quite a bit, which they always have and always will. We'll see how that plays out. All right, let's go on to the tight ends with Adam Leviton and Evan Silva of Establish the Run website. Adam, give me tight ends, value, overvalue. Yeah, I don't think that it's crazy this year to think that Mark Andrews can outscore George Kittle and Travis Kelsey. And what we've seen from Mark Andrews at this point is outrageous efficiency and outrageous production while only playing 40% of the snaps and not running that many routes. But now, Ravens going to have to pass more. I mean, we know they're going to regress from the domination they had last year. Lamar Jackson is just frankly going to have to pass more. Mark Andrews was limited last year by all kinds of injuries, foot, shoulder, but really the foot for most of the year, he was on the injury report. It seemed like he was limited by that for much of the year. That's healthy now. Then you also remove Hayden Hurst, and it doesn't sound like a lot, but Hayden Hurst was playing snaps, was running routes that will now go to Mark Andrews. So you can get Mark Andrews in the fourth or fifth round, and I think he has a chance to be just as productive as George Kittle and Travis Kelsey who go in round one or round two. So I think Mark Andrews is a great value there. Guy I'm not taking, people aren't going to be happy with me about, but guy I'm not taking is Rob Gronkowski. And uh, I understand that Rob Gronkowski had a year off to gain back some of the explosiveness that he once had. I'm not sure it will be here. When we last saw Rob Gronkowski, his best skill 
was as a blocker. And the tackle situation for the Bucks is not great. And this Bucks team, their number one priority has to be to protect Tom Brady. I can see Rob Gronkowski staying in a lot to protect Tom Brady. They do have O.J. Howard. They do have Cam Brady. They have competition for Rob Gronkowski. I also think they don't want to wear him down by playing him 60, 70 snaps a game. I think that we'll see Cam Brady. We'll see O.J. Howard give Rob Gronkowski breaks. So there's a lot of late round tight ends that I like, you know, Hawkinson and Charwin and Noah Fant and Goddard and all these guys that you can get later. And I don't think that I'd spend an eighth or ninth round pick on Rob Gronkowski. Listen, Mark Andrews last year, the comparison that was used to me from the Baltimore organization last year before the year began, which is why I had Mark Andrews in both my fancy leagues. They said he's Jason Witten, 2.0, last year. (laughs) And I think that that was true. Guy played unbelievably well and think he's a total stud. A big Mark Andrews fan. All right, Evan, give me your tight ends, values, overvalues. Chris Herndon is my undervalued tight end this year. His season was just washed out by a suspension, multiple injuries last year. The year before that, as a rookie, he had the 10th most receiving yards over the, the previous decade of any rookie tight end. And so that, that demonstrated his talent. And what we've been hearing out of Jets camp is that Chris Herndon is absolutely tearing it up. Going back to the, I, the notion of betting on established rapports between quarterbacks and pass catchers. I mean, the Jets are, have, are changing out almost everything on offense. They have five new offensive line starters. Both of their perimeter receivers are new. Jamison Crowder is the only other guy that has even caught passes before from Sam Darnold than Chris Herndon. And uh, Chris Herndon is a guy that you can get very, very late in your drafts. I have him as the tight end 11 his ADP is the tight end 28 uh, on Yahoo. Uh, the, 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 and I don't really have any great tight ends that I'm avoiding hardcore this year. Yeah. Um, I think that it is a, a position that is almost entirely determined by just how the draft plays itself out. Um, you know, you, you can go with, with an elite tight end uh, like George Kittle or Travis Kelsey or Zach Ertz or Mark Andrews early. And if you don't get one of those guys, just based on wherever you're drafting, I think that you wait late and, and take multiple um, late-round tight ends. But the, the one late-round tight end that I have not been drafting is Johnny Smith, and that is over target concerns. This is one of the run-heaviest offenses in the NFL. Although Delaney Walker is gone now officially, he really hadn't been there over the previous two years anyway. And Johnny Smith had 28 catches and, and 35 catches. I, I like Johnny Smith as a real-life NFL player. I really do. He can block. He can make big plays. He's, he's a sensational athlete. But there just are not going to be a lot of targets in one of the run-heaviest offenses in the NFL uh, in the Titans. And I, I don't see how he is going to have a big year uh, on, on such low volume. Hmm. I read on ESPN.com this morning someone was saying he's one of the most – underrated players in the NFL. And I thought, oh, is that somebody that I would look at drafting? Is immediately how I began to think. And I thought to myself, I don't know, maybe without Delaney Walker, he's going to emerge. But to your point, Evan, they never seem to use the tight end as much as you want them to use the tight end for fantasy purposes. So there we have a look then at the tight ends, the wide receivers, the running backs, the quarterbacks. Do we have any 
final fantasy advice for people who are getting ready to do their drafts in PPR leagues, just general rules, things that you would say, recommendations you would offer, advice you would give. I know we've gone over a lot of players here, but are, is there any lasting message that people should take into their drafts with them? Go ahead, Evan. I would say wait on quarterbacks. I mean, unless there's a situation where Lamar Jackson or Patrick Mahomes like falls to the fourth round, waiting on quarterback has just been proven over the years to be a, a very good process uh, way to approach your, your, your drafts um, because of the opportunity cost. And, and, and when I talk about opportunity costs, I'm talking about instead of using your fourth round pick on a quarterback, you can use it on Adam Thielen, or you can use it on James Conner, or you can use it on Calvin Ridley and a player that's really going to move the needle at uh, a, a position that is much more difficult to fill because when you start to get into the late rounds, Matt Ryan often goes in the late rounds. Carson Wentz often goes in the late rounds. Cam Newton is going very, very late this year and has been a top five fantasy quarterback in, in all but one season in his career. So, um, and, and Matthew Stafford, uh, who we – discussed again what was on pace for a 38 to 10 touchdown interception ratio last year before going down waiting on quarterback is a proven uh long-term plus expected value strategy adam what do you yeah. got and, yeah and one thing I, I would add to that is, is the wide receiver range as i mentioned in round two three eight is so outrageous it's just i know we at some point we have to take a running back over a wide receiver. I know Adam talked about how he was not comfortable with a lot of the running backs that are going high. The problem is, at some point, we're going to have to take running back over wide receiver. And to me, the best time to do that is in round one, round two, and in round three, if you can get one of Connor, Jonathan Taylor, or Chris Carson. So, so yeah, I would encourage people to build their roster early. And I know it's, it's, it's painful to pass on guys like Devontae Adams and Michael Thomas, and Tyreek Hill, and Julio Jones, and Chris Godwin. I know it's painful to pass on these guys who running backs we think are more fragile, are a little bit worse. The problem is, if you don't, and then you end up in that Leonard Fournette, Le'Veon Bell, David Montgomery, Devin Singletary mess, and then you're passing on just outrageous wide receiver values there, like some of the guys Evan mentioned, Calvin Ridley, Will Fuller, Adam Thielen, UK Metcalf, Tyler Lockett, et cetera, et cetera. So I would encourage people to think about their draft that way. Um, I think that it's at some point you have to take running backs and where it's closest between running backs and wide receivers, at least to me, is in round one and round two. In rounds four, five, six, it's just wide receivers have such a huge advantage. Makes a lot of sense right there. It's something I'm going to have to think about here in my two drafts. Adam Levitin, Evan Silva, established the run. These guys do great work. If you enjoyed listening to them today, as I'm sure you did, please sign up for their website. They do tremendous work all year long for season-long fantasy, DFS on a regular basis, weekly Sunday, whatever it may be, your fancy needs, establish the run. Evan, Adam, thank you for the time today. Have a great season, and we'll be in touch. Appreciate it so much. Thanks for having us. How good are Adam Levitin and Evan Silva? And their website is just as good, and we thank them for their time, and I'm sure there was something in there for you to pick up to help you with your upcoming fantasy football draft. All right, before we go on to Pete Bomarito with more fantasy knowledge straight from South Florida, a different twist and angle on who to draft in your upcoming fantasy draft. 
Uh, joining us now, the owner of two training facilities in Miami and Davie, Florida, Pete Bomarito. He owns Bomarito Performance Systems, and this is a training ground for NFL players, a ton of NFL players during the offseason. And every year at this time, I love to bring on Pete and say, all right, Pete, you've had all these guys in. Who, in your mind, after watching these guys all offseason, is poised for a big year? And so, Pete, I'll turn to you again with that very same question. You got to, got, you got to watch these guys more than you normally do because there was no offseason program. So you've seen it all. What do we got for the upcoming season? Well, the interesting thing this year is obviously the players were able to be with us a lot longer. And not only that, but we hosted some NFL teams that did uh, player-led practices, you know, because obviously the NFL things were shut down. And we were down for about six weeks, but we got going with our fields up and running in May 1st. And you know, we ended up hosting teams. So not only did we have the players, but we saw the whole offensive system of the Buffalo Bills the same thing with the New York Jets, uh, the offensive and defensive systems of Miami Dolphins. So the players wanted to organize their own kind of football specificity, OTAs, whatever. And because we had a good, clean, safe, private facility and a full-length football field and most everything was shut down, we hosted everybody. It was it ended up being great. Wow. Not only did I get a chance to find, I saw a lot of the systems implemented. Well, okay, so what, again, I always ask you, what player – what players caught your eye? Um, I mean, I think the standards, like usual. Um, I, I, I would, would love to say, like, uh, you know, watching the New York Jets go. And obviously, Le'Veon Bell's been my guy for a while. And everybody's, uh, I think, kind of written that, that whole thing off because of, of a down year. But um, just listening to him and it's all kind of coming together and watching the whole thing live. It was great. I think Le'Veon Bell's going to have a breakout year. I think James Conner is going to come back really, really strong with Pittsburgh now that Roethlisberger's back. The one rookie running back, I tell you, that's highly impressive. And it's going to be difficult because he's, you know, behind a, a stud, but Darrington Evans. Oh, the Titans' third-round pick from Appalachian State. Uh, we trained him for the draft. Darrington Evans, yep, the third-round pick. And then he came back and trained with us literally the entire offseason and was around guys like, you know, Frank Gore and all my, my you know, regular workhorses that work out with me. I mean, his speed, his ability to catch the ball, his entire productivity, like the offensive weapon, he's going to be a sleeper pick, I think, because nobody's expecting much because, you know, he's behind the guy he's behind. But I think that he's going to get the touches and really open up some eyes this year from a running back perspective. So, and the guy you're talking about him backing up, of course, is Derrick Henry. So you're not expecting a lot of – what makes you think that he could be so good there, Pete, right? you know, at some point? I just think when you have an athlete like that that can do so much, it's hard to keep him off the field. And you know how it is. I mean, you have the workhorse back, but you also got to have that, that super sub. And he's definitely that guy. And um, if you just see the speed on this guy, I mean, he is the, the prototype of what everybody's looking for in terms of can be a standard true between the tackles running back. But he's so fast and he's such an elite pass, pass catcher that I think that Tennessee coming into its own and, you know, Darrington is just highly impressive. You know, another guy I'm highly impressed with, A.K. Dobbins, uh, I know, again, he's, he's in, in Baltimore, and everybody's kind of like, well, where's the touch is going to come from? But, again, if you just look at these guys from an attitude, from a work ethic standpoint, uh, what they're able to do, the speed, uh, Darrington Evans and J.K. Dobbins, I think, are going to surprise a lot of people, even though people are, I think, going to question how many touches they're going to get. But they're going to be definite sleeper picks. Well, I'm a big J.K. Dobbins fan. I didn't realize he was down there. So, Darrington Evans, 
J.K. Dobbins, two guys you're looking to make an impact. We'll see whether they could do that right away. Any wide receivers stand out to you, Pete? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think we're looking at, uh, you know, again, I think the big question is, you know, Stefan Diggs and the new team. But again, I saw it firsthand. I mean, Diggs was instrumental in bringing that whole team down. You know, he told the quarterbacks, listen, I, the place I train in Florida, it's got the field, everything's rolling. We can go down there and be safe. And just watching that was a, a work of art. Just looking at him and uh, Devin Singletary, work within that system was amazing. You know, so I think Stefan Diggs is going to be uh, definitely for a breakout year because I think there's going to be no question the productivity is going to be going to be there. Uh, the other guy that was highly impressive to work with for the first time was Terry McLaurin. Um, yeah. He was oh, amazing. Yeah. He had a big rookie year and everything, but again, the speed, I, I did not realize he was that fast. And just watching him come into his own about everything, you know, the speed program, obviously we do, but the deceleration program, the route running, the attitude, the professionalism, uh, Terry McLaurin looked like a 10 year vet. I mean, he was highly, highly impressive. So I think that he's going to have a huge year. And obviously, Darius Slayton was kind of one of my sleepers from last year that ended up really coming on strong last at, at the end with the Giants. He spent a considerable considerable amount of time down here. And I think that uh, that Slayton is going to continue where he left off and continues to shock people, you know, as but long Dan as the, the team keeps rolling. Daniel Jones loved Slayton last year. McLaurin was a total stud as a rookie, total stud as a rookie. And it wouldn't surprise me if both those guys stood out. And – let me ask you this. Any tight ends that you worked with this offseason that caught your eye? The guy that I worked with for the first time is uh, David Njoku, who was mm. very impressive. And, um, you know, again, he's, he was just an athlete. He came to me early in the offseason. And Lily spent the entire offseason with me. I trained him and his two brothers that are in college right now. Yeah. And the whole family gene pool was impressive. But, yeah, I mean, I think overall he said, yeah, I just want to work on my flexibility, my mobility. I obviously have elite speed, but I want to continue to build on just the deceleration, the breakdown, you know, coming strong out of my breaks. So he's obviously a physical specimen, and he had the unfortunate injury last year that was, you know, when you have a, a hand or a wrist or something like that, it's hard to, to, to come back from. But at the same time, it's fully healthy. His athleticism is, I think, as elite as it gets, and he's at the top of his game right now. So we had all our standard tight ends like Johnny Smith, who I think is took a big step forward last year. Obviously, come off that injury with Johnny last year, he proved that you know he was bigger and faster. And believe it or not, we actually got to train this offseason, not rehab, and he's even bigger and faster than he was last year. So Johnny Smith's always my guy, but I think you can expect a lot of things out of David and Joku for sure. Interesting, you know, we had on before you. Evan Silva and Adam Levitin from Established the Run, they're fantasy experts. They do a great job. And number one, they cautioned against Le'Veon Bell, not because of Le'Veon Bell, his talents, but because of the system and everything that's gone on. And I'd be curious to know your thoughts there. And then they also talked about John o. Smith not being involved in the offense. How would you address both those guys, Le'Veon Bell and John o. Smith, that came up earlier in this podcast? I mean, I just think that you cannot de deny athleticism. I mean, obviously, everything's going to come down to the system. Is the quarterback healthy and things like that? I mean, those things affect anybody. It doesn't matter how good somebody is with productivity, especially in fantasy football, is the quarterback healthy? But if all the luck goes the right way, I think that Le'Veon, I mean, is an absolute ripped 215-pound blazing fast speed. I mean, he's 
in the best shape I've ever seen him, and the, the speed is elite. Obviously, everybody hears the the great re, re, reports coming out of New York with how good a shape he's in. And again, I'm not a football guy. I don't know the systems and all that, but just hearing the feedback from up there of, of they're really putting it together. You know, that I think the surprise team is going to be Buffalo and, and the Jets. And I think the productivity is going to be there. I mean, if he runs like he can run, he's going to get the touches. He's going to get the catches. We all know that. So I think the stats are going to be there. With Janu, I I think, again, he came into his own last year because he came off that serious injury, and he just rehabbed the whole offseason. He had a great year, but if you just look at his speed and productivity now, and an interesting thing is, you know, Tannehill spends the offseason down here. So not only was he training with me, he was able to to get with him religiously throughout almost the whole offseason. So I think the chemistry is going to be there. The speed is there and the athleticism is there. Who's the one sleeper that you're most proud of calling with me? Because you've called a few guys over time. You've called Tariq Hill uh, ahead of time, I believe. You've called Le'Veon Bell when he was emerging. Uh, you've called other guys. You've called Darius Slayton. Uh, now we're calling for Darrington Evans and J.K. Dobbins. And any one call that you feel proud to have been ahead of the curve on there, Pete? Yeah, I mean, I was pretty happy. I mean, I know that uh, Dalvin Cook's a known name, but I know we had a lot of conversation with him about him last year. Yeah. And I kept telling him, you know, on our show, like, look out. Like, this guy's ready. The speed is there. Just look out. Like, he is healthy. He is trained. He is 100% worked almost the whole offseason on his speed. And once he gets the opportunity, look out. And you just saw what he did last year. I was very, very proud of that, that I called that. That even though he's not necessarily a sleeper, he's just – you know, that whole comeback player kind of thing. And I say this year, my, my, my equivalent to Cook last year would be Lamar Miller. You know, Lamar Miller rehabbed religiously with us the entire time. And we're obviously able to continue to rehab him even when the, the pandemic shut down because it was essential. And I, I think he went to the perfect team. I think he's going to get the touches. I think if they just, you know, be patient with him and make sure he comes back and as 100%, I think Lamar Miller is going to surprise a lot of people. You know, they're going to use him, there's no question. And if they're just patient with him, allow him to get right to 100%, the speed's back. Lamar Miller, that elite speed is back. So I think, you know, Lamar's kind of my equivalent that as long as the, the Patriot system goes, they're going to use him. And he's going to explode back with that, that elite speed they had. And I think Jordan Howard's going to do uh, a lot of great things with, uh, with Miami. I really do. You know, I think uh, if, if, again, it all depends on, I know they had some bad luck with some receivers opting out and things, but I think Jordan Howard's going to come back. But I'm pretty mm-hmm. proud of the, the Dalvin Cook thing from last year. Do you get to work with Dalvin this offseason again or not? No, you know, he, uh, he had spent a lot of time traveling back and forth. So I didn't spend as much time with him this offseason as I did last offseason. But, uh, you know, Dalvin's still my guy. I mean, he, he still does the things he needs to be doing. He's highly intelligent. And, you know, works his butt off, whether it's down here up in Minnesota. So, and obviously I'm friends with a lot of the guys up there. I, I, you know, people know what he's doing. He's, he's a stud. So Dalvin's going to have a big year as well. Well, Pete, I appreciate you taking the time to join us today to give us some insight from down in Florida, from Bomberito Performance Systems, Miami, Florida, and Davie, Florida. Pete Bomberito training players to be ready for this upcoming season has had a unique insight into them. And today we thank you for sharing some of those insights, Pete. Adam, thanks so much. I appreciate it. There is Pete Bomarito, hopefully offering you some insight into some of these guys who might be worth drafting. We are headed into Labor Day weekend, which means basically summer's over. 
football's here. And I know a lot of people associate Labor Day with certain things. I personally associate it with big moves. If we go back and look at the NFL over the last five or so years, you can find big moves on Labor Day weekend going back to the 2016 season. Labor Day weekend, 2016. For me, it was one of those remember where you were moments. I was standing in the parking lot of my bank making a withdrawal when I got the word that the Eagles traded Sam Bradford to the Vikings for a first-round pick in 2017 and a fourth-round pick in 2018. In 2017, we saw the Patriots trade Jacoby Brissett to the Colts for Philip Dorsett, and we saw the Jets trade Sheldon Richardson to the Seahawks for Jermaine Kearse and a second-round pick, while the teams also swapped seventh-round picks on Labor Day 2017. Labor Day 2018. Again, one of those where were you moments, and I can remember where I was. I was coming home from taking my son to college, getting calls as I was on the tarmac that talks between the Bears and Raiders were heating up. And then Saturday morning of Labor Day weekend, the Raiders trade Khalil Mack to the Bears for a first-round pick in 2019, a first-round pick in 2020, a sixth-round pick in 2020, and a third-round pick in 2020. Khalil Mack to the Bears, Labor Day weekend, 2018. And then last year was one of the busiest Labor Day weekends of all. We started out with the Chiefs trading Carlos Hyde to the Texans for Martinez Rankin. We saw the Dolphins trade Kiko Alonso to the Saints for Vince Beagle. And then we saw the Texans trade Jadevian Clowney to the Seahawks for Barkevius Mingo and Jacob Martin. And on Labor Day last year, we also saw the Dolphins trade Laramie Tunsil and Kenny Stills to the Texans for Johnson Batamosi and Julian Davenport and a bunch of draft picks. And that was one of those I remember where I was moments because earlier in the day, Clowney had been sent to Seattle and you thought that was the big move of the day. And then all of a sudden on Labor Day weekend, Laramie Tunsil traded to the Houston Texans. So here we are on Labor Day weekend again. I don't know that we're going to get moves of that magnitude because of the pandemic we're living through and the expanded practice squads of 16 players and teams getting to keep more of their own players. But Labor Day weekend over the last five years has proven to be one of the most unpredictable, intriguing, exciting times. And it's truly the kickoff to the upcoming football season. We hope it's a great Labor Day weekend for you. I want to thank all my guests today, the Broncos' great young safety, Justin Simmons, the established the run co-founders, Adam Levitin and Evan Silva, and Pete Bomarito down in South Florida training football players year-round. I also want to thank my great producer, Christina Buswell, for putting this all together, making it possible. I want to thank you, the listener, for tuning in to another Adam Schefter podcast. Please join us again next week when we will have on together the three Monday Night Football announcers, Steve Levy, Brian Greasy, Louis Riddick, all joining us to talk about their debut in the Monday Night Football booth as well as the 2020 football season. Until then, have a great Labor Day weekend. Be well and stay safe.